<laughs> We've all had better days than that, haven't we? I uh, want to welcome you again. want to welcome those watching in Issaquah and Duval as well. Uh, excited to start off uh, this new series. This summer had a lot of firsts for me. Uh, I just got back. I was at a conference, uh, invited to speak at a conference in Orlando, Florida in the summer. I must not be very good. I don't know about that, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that. In fact, uh, next week, uh, really encourage you, we're, we're going to uh, hit something in this series that I think is very significant. Uh, if you can't be here, watch online, but encourage you uh, to be here. And part of that, I'm going to share a conversation that I had uh, at that conference. Well, this summer I've been doing uh, a bunch of new things. One of the things I did, and I hope I, if some of you might think I'm unspiritual, others of you might think other things about me. My wife and I went with another couple and we saw the musical Wicked. And I, I got to tell you, uh, some of you think, you know, is that a Satanist thing? No, it's not at all. It's about the Wizard of Oz. Uh, others of you think you saw a musical and you want to take away my man card. And uh, just to let you know that I normally don't see musicals. Uh, this one was pretty interesting. We, my wife had dragged me to one. I mean, we had the opportunity to go one before. Uh, Hello, Dolly, which uh, was the first 10 minutes were great. I don't know about the rest because I fell asleep during it. Uh, yeah, not joking about that one. Uh, but in this one, I, I liked it because it was a, a story from a different perspective. It, it was uh, the story of the Wizard of Oz, and it's what if things uh, were different, and what if things turned out differently? And in this series, Alternate Ending, uh, really we're looking at uh, how we can live a life where we change some of the scripts of our life and we can get, uh, accordingly, different results. We're going to look at uh, one part of the Bible, Galatians chapter 5, the last part of it in particular. If you're not familiar with that part of the Bible, Galatians is a book uh, primarily about God's grace and how we live that out. How grace is different even than mercy. Mercy is not uh, maybe uh, getting the punishment we deserve, but grace is getting the good things that we don't even deserve. Yet there's, there's a battle, even when we grab a hold of that conceptually, to live that out, to have that not just be something we intellectually assent to, but to change our story. And today is going to be a bit of a, uh, a shift, a sharp shift from what we've done the last few weeks. The last few weeks, we've looked at some of uh, the real intellectual questions around faith, about do science and faith uh, really mesh? If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to check that out. Uh, can we trust the scriptures and what does it mean to live by them? But today we're going to get to some of the very practical issues of our life and faith. So if you'll take your outlines out of your program, if you haven't uh, done so already, we're going to look at uh, what script are we living out. We see this in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. Uh, it really poses this dilemma. It says, uh, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of the, what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting with each other. So you're not free 
to carry out your good intentions. Now, does that seem real to you? I don't know, uh, but maybe, have you got this all nailed? You're living things perfectly here, uh, living life perfectly. Uh, To me, that's, you know, you think about some of your good intentions. Your mother ever said to you, the road to where is paved with good intentions. Yeah, no, Yakima. The, uh, <laughs> no, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The idea, uh, and I, I, don't, I don't think that's probably actually good theology, but it does, in some ways, it, it identifies the dilemma that we face in our life. Now, later on in the book of Galatians, it gets specifically to some areas that are universal that everyone struggles with. You might say, hey, I don't struggle with this. My guess is you're gonna struggle with pretty much all of these. And so I I wanna look at that. It says, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. So when we we say, you know, I'm gonna give up on the battle. I'm gonna just do what comes naturally to me without God involved. And it says this, this can be the result. The results are very clear. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of angers, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and just in case yours wasn't mentioned, in other sins like these. Because <laughs> you know what? The Apostle Paul said, one of you weirdos is doing something I didn't think of, you know? Uh, he, I don't know if he said weirdos or not, but... <laughs> so, so what's the goal of this series? It's to confront the problems around us, but also the problems that are in us as well. And, and today I want to look at, at one of those areas. In fact, we're going to look at a big portion of that last section that we just read about. Uh, it's sort of the, the, the struggle with really controlling our emotions. I guess you could put it in that category where there's anger, tension, and relational discord. There, is there a script that you find yourself living out again and again? Uh, this is often the poison sp- pill that despite everything you do uh, in your career, in your marriage, with your parenting, in your friendships, that can uh, tear apart so much of the good work that you've done. In fact, I know people who do a good job. They provide financially for their family. They coach their kids' teams. They go on date night with their spouse. Yet these things tend to, to get in the way again and again. And I would say it's true for all of us, but what I'm going to talk about, I think men, even a little bit more so, deal with some of the things that I'm going to be talking about uh, today. Maybe uh, you would look at that brief self-test that I put in the program, that, uh, that if you say, hey, if I'm struggling, you know, don't fill it out now, you can do it later, uh, and say, hey, maybe I do struggle a little bit when it comes to these uh, areas of tension. So here's what I want to do, is I want to look at each one of them, but put it into language I think that is maybe more appropriate for us, and to how to spot uh, a troublemaker, that's from someone who's causing problems, a discord, or uh, recognize if you're one. Because I think, in a sense, 
All of us uh, are that way because we all have people who've caused trouble in our lives. And now the great thing with social media is the people who have sort of caused problems all our life in the past, we can pull into our future now too. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so uh, see, see if you recognize any of these. Someone who's high on the drama meter, uh, quarreling. Uh, everything, no matter how small, is uh, blown out of proportion uh, that uh, really they're a drama king or a drama queen. Any of you uh, have people in your life who are addicted to drama? Anyone would admit that? Yeah, we all have that. Some of you, any of you admit that you're just a little bit addicted to drama? Okay, none of you are going to admit that, okay. Uh, but, but we all have that where we sort of like to be, if there's no crisis, we don't feel good. And I think there's, there's really some reasons uh, behind that. Uh, maybe it's to undermine our own success sometimes, if we were going to be real honest. And, and another uh, category is constant comparison, jealousy and envy. Uh, constant com- comparison will really make yourself miserable. Uh, you think about it. Uh, people will, you know, how, how you look. And depending on one, what culture even that can change. In, uh, in China, small feet is something that's considered, okay, really uh, great looking. The, the Karen people of Thailand, uh, tall necks, and they'll even do things to make their uh, necks tall. In Shakespearean England, ankles were the rage. It's like, baby, you've got hot ankles, you know? And, and in America, it's pretty much, you know, 5'10", balding men with brown hair, whiny Jewish voice who laugh at their own jokes. You know, we each have that in our different cultures. Uh, there's a, a book, maybe you're familiar with it, came out a number of years ago. It's called Wanting to Be Her, and uh, it describes about Barbie and her atomical features and, and what she would look like. Uh, that she'd have perfect hair, perfect complexion, but to get her body, you would have to take out two ribs on each side so she could have the hourglass figure. She would have a 36-inch chest, an 18-inch waist, and she'd have the top of like Dolly Parton in the bottom of Kate Moss. Uh, Now, is that really attractive? Guys, the answer is no. (laughs) <laughs> if you want to go home tonight. So, <laughs> uh, but here, here's the problem. Is there something in me, maybe, uh, that whispers, uh, I need of some of what they have to make me whole, acceptable, lovable, or respectable? Or, or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone else who's making the comparison. I think I, I, I shared this before I was going to uh, someone's, not someone who goes to church, so don't try to figure out who it is, uh, someone's graduation party a while back, and uh, their, their child got into University of Washington because it, evidently they have a good kid. And the, uh, so I said, hey, I went to the University of Washington uh, too. And, and the person goes, oh yeah, it was way easier to get back in, uh, get in back then. And I said, yeah, it wasn't hard. And she goes, yeah, you know, you probably wouldn't have made it. Only a few people get in. And I said, oh, that's great. Can I punch you in the throat now? <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> and I didn't do it. Only in my mind. So the, uh, <laughs> but you know, there's that idea. If you, if, if I can't feel, feel better compared to you, then I don't feel good 
about me. Now, I mean, praise the Lord we live on the east side where people really don't deal with this much. Uh, yeah, isn't that true? I mean, you can, it doesn't matter what you have. You say, well, yeah, hey, buddy, I made it. I have a home on the lake. Well, I saw someone who has a home on the lake with a helicopter. Okay, I hate my home now. You know what I mean? It just, there's always that comparison in our life. Uh, and really what it does is it robs us of joy. But then there can be this, the, the victim mentality, dissension and division. And, and we see this in someone who's a troublemaker is, is if I can't compare and if I can't feel better about myself that way, then I'll have to make you the bad person and me the victim. And really, in the, we, we cast our life as a story. We usually cast ourselves as the hero or the victim. But the truth is, is sometimes we're neither. And, and I think the most courageous thing can be, uh, is to ask, hey, I've gone through maybe a series of relationships and they've ended the same way. I can't tell you as a pastor uh, how many times I've talked to someone and said, you know what, I just keep on meeting the same guys. They're no good, they're rotten, and every one of them is just the same. And instead of the question is, why am I gravitating towards people like that? Is there something about me? Don't blame yourself for someone else's bad behavior, but is there something I'm doing? Every job I have, my boss is mean. Well, is it something about what I do, how I present myself to work? There are times, by the way, where people will victimize you, where people will take away, try to take away your, your dignity, your innocence, your uh, relationships, your finances. So, so I don't want to minimize that. But the truth is, you don't need to be a victim. A victim is an identity that you'll choose to take. You know what one of the greatest powers is, especially if you've suffered abuse, is to understand, yes, you've been victimized, but you will not allow that person to make you a victim. And there's a different identity that you can live out in Jesus Christ. Here's one that I can't relate to, often irritable. The, uh, <laughs> this is only true of me and all men. So the, uh, yeah, it's sort of, you know, sometimes this is one for me. I was thinking about this list. Is sometimes I can have that low-level uh, grumpiness, and it's not just because of what happened in the Super Bowl either. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just sort of that irritability. And I think what it really gets down to is uh, people don't behave the way that I want them to behave. And you know what? Nobody owes me that. Nobody owes my, my, my wife, my kids, See, when, when we start believing that someone has to perform to please us, then we'll get angry. You might say, oh, man, I'm so glad you said that because my boss thinks, well, you do have to perform to please your boss. <laughs> That's been a little bit different. Uh, but I'm talking about the relationships that you have outside of that. They think win-lose, and that's selfish ambition. 
There are obviously, you know, the first person in a race or in sports, there's going to be something where you're going to win a competition like that, pass-fail. But most of life is not win-lose. And if someone else has to lose for you to win, then that can be a problem. We've been around people who've tried to pull us down so that they can feel better about themselves. So maybe we've been, done that as well. And, and, and I think that God would give us a different way to relate and to live. And really it comes down to this. is uh, A person like this is unaware that joy is a choice. Uh, you know, that you don't have to live in hostility. That I'm just sort of, again, I'm just sort of, uh, I'm mad because of what they made me do. That I, I have the choice every day to, to embrace joy. And that's why joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on the circumstances around me. Joy is something that happens on the inside of me. The Bible doesn't whitewash the difficulties and the difficult people that we encounter in life. Yet, the responsibility lies squarely with us in how we're to deal with all of this. In fact, we're going to look, and we're going to look again and, and turn to another uh, book of the New Testament, Ephesians, where it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So, so how do we do that? How do we do that when there's uh, someone who's making our life difficult? Uh, now, the first part I talked about, you know, what if we're that person? Just to help us self-identify so we can say, God, where can I do better? Where can I live the life that honors you? But now I want to talk particularly about people who are continuing to cause us problems. I've talked to people again and again. And by the way, when I talk to people, I always know there's another side of the story. People come and they'll say, hey, you know, uh, my parent or my brother keeps on doing this or my ex-husband or my ex-wife. What am I supposed to do? You know, the Bible lays out a very simple, and if you've been around Scripture, uh, not an unfamiliar plan, but one that can be a little more difficult, honestly, for us to live out. What does the Bible say we're supposed to do? We're to love. And you're saying, how, what? how am I supposed to love? Jesus makes it quite clear. He says, uh, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. It would have stretched us quite a bit if Jesus would say, like your enemies, tolerate your enemies. Uh, but Jesus says, love your enemies. And he gives us really the example. The scripture says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Here's a kind of overreaching thought that Jesus is actually so concerned about the redemption of every single human being on the planet Earth that he's asking each of his followers to live in love in such a way to awaken the conscience of even the meanest uh, most self-seeking, greedy, and hate-filled person. Well, how does that happen? Well, one, there's, yeah, there's a sense of love, but then there's a spiritual dynamic. We're to pray. 
Jesus not only uh, introduces that ethic of love, which seems almost impossible, he says, pray for those who persecute you. Uh, when I was at, at Fuller Seminary, uh, when I, I was doing my master's degree, I had the opportunity at one time to hear uh, Desmond Tutu, a uh, bishop from South Africa, right when apartheid was still uh, a very real experience. And in a chapel, I uh, had the opportunity to meet him afterwards. Uh, and, and he uh, told this story. Uh, a, there's a young man who was basically imprisoned for the color of his skin. And when he asked the man, when Bishop Tutu asked him uh, if he could pray for him, the man said this, and I want to read this because I don't want to get it wrong. He said, oh, Bishop, please pray for these men who did this to me. They were made in the image of God, and they've forgotten who they are. They're acting like monsters. Is there a single relationship that couldn't be restored if we didn't enter in with that kind of prayer? You say, is that possible? I've seen it happen again and again. I've seen people who've gone through bitter divorces and then they've not only reconciled, they say, I've come to know Jesus and I'm reconciled. And and then, then they invite their ex to church. And now they're all coming to church together. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And God changes the human heart. Well, well, part of this, though, is not just puppies and love and flowers. It really comes down to this, is that we need to confront as well. Uh, and, and the Bible gives us some very practical instruction on this. Love and prayer are essential, but, but, but confrontation, and not in a way that escalates conflict, but in a way that really works towards a, a resolution of sorts. Uh, is essential. In fact, in Titus, uh, we read this. It says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and after that have nothing to do with them. That seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? What, what, What the scripture is acknowledging is that there are some people who will be pretty damaging in our lives and even if we do our best, that there may not be the desire at least yet, to change. Dr. Henry Cloud, one of my favorite authors, uh, he uh, he describes this, and really this is based on the Proverbs, uh, that that depending on who a person is, is what our approach should be. And, And he puts it into three categories. These are biblical categories based on the book of Proverbs. This isn't in your outline, but it really is from the Scriptures. Uh, and the first category uh, would be uh, the wise person. And if there's a wise person and you're having, and there's sort of been a troublemaker in your life in some way, they've caused a problem for you, and maybe it's a, a family member. And in that case, what you need is conversation, is you need to say, hey, let's talk about this. Uh, and I'm going to talk about how you hold that conversation in a moment. Uh, And when you do that, uh, a person who's wise will uh, thank you for that. I've had people come to me and say, hey, uh, I I don't know if you meant it this way, but this, whatever you said, uh, really hurt me. 
And I, I, I want to hear that and say, and say, oh, man, I just did not, did not understand. And then the second category he gives is the fool. And we don't like to use that term because we think, but the Bible actually uses that term a lot. 183 references uh, to uh, foolish people in the book of Proverbs. And we've all been foolish from time to time. And for a foolish person, uh, really, we move beyond conversation after we've warned once and we've warned twice. And that really is to consequences. And maybe the consequences could be you have someone who's working for you and uh, they have to be moved into a different position or maybe even let go. Or maybe you're working for someone else and it's, hey, you know, I'm going to go ahead and go uh, activate the LinkedIn account (laughs) and uh, see if there's a better job uh, out there. Uh, And then the, the third category is people who would really, uh, be extremely narcissistic. The Bible would say evil. Uh, And Cloud says really what the scripture talks about there is containment. There's a great book uh, by M. Scott Peck. Many of you know a book he wrote many, many years ago uh, called The Road Less Traveled. Uh, That was sort of back in the, I, I think back in the 70s or 80s. And he was sort of this hippie guru guy talking about, oh, just love each other. He's also a psychiatrist. And, uh, but then he started really working with people, and, and he came across something that he would call extreme narcissism. And he would say people were evil. By the way, Scott Peck, during this time when he was confronted with evil, that's when, because he wasn't a Christian when he wrote The Road Less Traveled, that's when he realized there really is good and evil, and he became a Christ follower, uh, found a relationship with Jesus Christ in that. And when there's people like that, it's all about containment. It's all about, you know, uh, Cloud says it's all about lawyers, guns, and money. (laughs) And so it just means that there needs to be a distance. There's probably not going to be a repair in the relationship. Uh, We're not in redemption mode, we're in protection mode. Uh, Well, what would be a situation uh, like that? Someone's abusive in some way, and they're going to continue on that plan. Uh, And I know the word abuse, honestly, can be overused, but but there are situations where there are real abuse. And you'd say, you know what, I'm just going to have to sever the relationship or keep my distance. So how are we to do this? Ephesians 4 tells us uh, how, how we are to uh, start out this process, to have this conversation. First, to do it truthfully. It says, therefore, you must put off all falsehood. Uh, this means, uh, this is important because uh, often what we will do is understate or overstate. Have you ever gotten out of a conversation and you wanted to talk to someone and like you're going to talk to them and then you walk away and you're saying, oh, I wish I would have said that. Oh, I wish I would have said that. And you're like, oh, and you're like all the things in your mind and now you're having the conversation you should have had beforehand. Uh, It can be so important to write it down Uh, because two, uh, we need to make sure we're saying what we need to say. 
Uh, and then also do it lovingly. Uh, finish this sentence uh, for me, if you would. It's not what you say, but how you say it. Isn't that true? Uh, isn't there uh, a difference between, uh, you know what, uh, I, I felt like you, I felt belittled from that situation to, to you always belittle me. Can you see that one can cause a problem and one can bring about a solution? Uh, and it's important to uh, use statements where we don't say you should do this, you should do that. We have a rule around here, we don't should on people and <laughs> that's really important. Uh, so, so we do it compassionately as well. Uh, when I feel hurt or wrong, uh, I always want to have a sense of compassion. And you say, how do you do that? There's been something in my own personal practice, and I would say this only maybe has been in the last five to ten years of my life, that has revolutionized not only how I deal with conflict, but has also brought a level of peace to my life that really evaded me for nearly 40 years in my life. Uh, as I looked at my past, as I looked at situations when I was going through difficulty, even where I felt wrong. There's one a number of years ago, I was working with someone, and I just still to this day felt it was not handled the right way. And the question is this. Uh, I wonder why they're doing what they're doing. I wonder what's driving them. And usually it's an insecurity, it's a fear, it's a misunderstanding. And when you understand that, when you have that, you may not change anything you do out of that situation, but you definitely can move forward with a greater sense of compassion. That's when it, why it says in Ephesians 4.29, uh, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then later on it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then uh, the fourth step is to simply let go. When it comes to a, a, a situation where uh, someone's causing some trouble in our life and there's hurt, we can either uh, rehearse it or release it. And we can either uh, just say, oh, they and just talk about it and let it consume who we are, or let it go. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean there's not consequences. Uh, sometimes in the situation, I mean, if it's bad enough, there might be legal consequences, and, and those are go you can let those happen. There might be relational consequences. You may not be that kind of relationship. You may not be able to have that kind of relationship anymore with the person. But there's something that we need to do, let go uh, in our hearts. It says uh, Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, and again it says this as it said in Ephesians, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm sure you're uh, aware of one of the great tragedies. There's been so many 
tragedies in our country lately uh, with, with shootings. Uh, you know, some are uh, terrorists. In fact, many of them are terrorists inspired by ISIS. That's just a reality. Uh, and those are horrible, and uh, I think we just need to call it what it is. But you know the one that really broke my heart? Uh, they all break my heart, but the most is when uh, there was a, a young man, Dylan Roof, who was inspired by really a, a racist uh, ideology. And he went into the church in Charleston and uh, massacred nine people. His hope, he said, was that he would cause such division that there would be a race war in South Carolina. South Carolina has not had uh, the best history of race relations uh, the, uh, in the country at all, especially much different than a place like Seattle. Uh, but it's interesting what could have been one script changed into a completely different script. Uh, and in many ways, many people would say that the exact opposite effect. Uh, when you look at the, wherever you the flag thing and the Confederate flag taking that, the exact opposite thing happened in South Carolina than what he was hoping for. I was reading an article. I was reading uh, online because I decided to be a di- not be a dinosaur anymore and get my news that way. <laughs> and so uh, it was actually a foreign paper. It was this is a London paper that was reporting on this. And this is uh, uh, what the paper says in the article. Uh, The article describes what happens when the relatives of the victims address the court. One by one, those who chose to speak at the bond hearing did not turn to anger. And this this is from London Daily Mirror, secular paper. Instead, they offered forgiveness. Instead, they were praying for a soul. Looking at Ruth, the daughter of... Grandmother uh, Ethel Lay, 70, said, I forgive you. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. I'll never talk to you again, but know that I forgive you. You hurt me and a lot of people, but I forgive you. Felicia Sanders, uh, the mother of victim Tawanza Sanders, who survived the shooting by playing dead, said, We welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with uh, open arms. Every fiber in my body hurts. And I will never be the same. In fact, it's interesting, Sander uh, uh, Roof, who was the shooter, said he almost didn't carry out his attack because of how warm and nice the people were who greeted him when he went into the church. Tawanza Sanders was my son. May God have mercy on your soul. A representative of Myra Thompson, 59, one of those... uh, Killed added, I forgive you and my family forgives you. I hope you will repent and confess and give your life to Jesus Christ and change your ways. You'll be better off than you are now. But it says Ruff remained impassive as each relative spoke. See, he didn't get what was uh, offered uh, by each person there. There was an incredible gift that is offered, not deserved. And the Bible calls that grace. And and our story changes. We get a different ending to our story 
when we allow grace to become effective in our life. See, it says when it's talking about all those sins, that, that sinless there in Galatians, it says, but there's a different way to live. If we live empowered by God's uh, Holy Spirit, then our lives uh, will look differently. It says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things as this. 